the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Dear Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come come and worship you. We're thankful that you place this desire on our hearts. Please bless Jackie. Give him the words that you would have for us. Uh, Open our ears and our hearts that we may hear them. We say these things in your precious name. Amen. Once again, I I want to remind us as we work our way through the book of James to keep our eyes focused on the context of what's going on. Remember in the very beginning, when he declared to us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that there's a purpose in your suffering, that he's challenging us, challenging us to walk in joy. The word of God declares to us, how do we do that? It says, in the presence of the Lord there's joy forevermore. Being in His presence brings forth joy. He tells us to ask for wisdom if we lack it. But the Word of God declares to us that Jesus Christ has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Him. That it's a part of our real relationship with Christ, right? The reality of I am in Christ. I am following Christ. My life is about going in the direction that He is leading me. That's why in chapter 2 he says, don't just say with your lips you have a relationship with Christ. We should be able to see that relationship in how we live. It should come forth out of us. It should be evidenced in us that, that we can see the fingerprints of the Lord, the one whom we follow, right? Because, let's face it, if Jesus was here with us, he'd stick out, wouldn't he? I mean, I think he would. I think, I think the things that he said, the things that he did now... I don't think that he would ostracize people. No, no, I don't believe that. But I do believe there was a distinction between his life and the life of every other man on earth. And so the call of James to follow him, to be all in, to allow that work that Paul would write about when he would say not to be conformed into this world, to look like the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Proving what is that good and perfect will of God. That that our lives are transformed by Jesus Christ working in and through us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, didn't He? Not to leave us the same, but to do a work in us, to to change us. And then last week he was He was challenging us. He was challenging us to realize there's a difference between God's will and the world's system on what is the purpose of life. Remember last time I said, don't, don't just say, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to make a profit, I'm going to, this is the focus of my life. That's the idea. But rather, James said, don't be like that, be like this, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I want to fulfill God's purpose in my life. And then immediately as he finishes that section, guys, he moves right into a, a judgment. And it's... Uh, It's a harsh judgment if you look at it. It's a harsh judgment that he lays out for us. And so we're going to take a look at it. We're going to evaluate this idea of the wealthy. Come now, you rich. Now, if this could be spoke of any nation in the world, it'd be us. No? Right? We're all good with that. Yeah? 
I mean, no matter where we are on the, on the scheme of things, I know that, uh, that the, the city of Buell is not highest on, uh, you know, yearly salary. I get that. But no matter where we are on the, on the schedule, we, we still got stuff in the store when we go, right? There's milk on the shelf and the ability for most, in most cases to get that. So we find ourselves as the wealthy. And so James makes a prediction about the rich, and, and we just need to spend some time chewing on it and doing just what we did during communion, right? Lord, is this in my heart? Because I think the call in the first, in the first what, five uh, words is for us to repent if it is. Let's look at it. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now that sounds like judgment is coming, no? That there is judgment coming. The Lord is going to judge. Now, there's some issues. He's going to list them out for us. There's some things that are going on in the lives of these people. But I don't want you to miss what he's saying in the beginning. Now, a lot of times we come to the Word and we want to make this about someone else. You read a bunch of commentaries and they'll tell you, well, this is an unbeliever. Well, the book is James given to who? The church. Read where? In the church, right? So it's probably a wrong place to try to give out this, this idea for an unbeliever, isn't it? But it's a really good place to give it out to a believer. It's a really good place to say, hey, this heart, this thing we were just talking about previously in chapter 4, that it's not about building my own kingdom, but about building the kingdom of God. It's not about my own fame and fortune, it's about the fame of Jesus Christ. It's not about me anymore. It became about him. As soon as I answered the call when he said, Jackie, come and follow me. And I got up to follow him. It became about him. Jesus Christ became my Lord and Savior. He saves me from my sin, but he is also the Lord of my life. I had plenty of time running my life. And I can guarantee you, Jesus does a way better job. So I want to follow him. I want to follow him. So here's what he says. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. Now if you remember just previously, the the chapter and verse divisions are just there so we can find our way, okay? That was never there in the original writing. So the chapter break's not here. If you remember just prior, he was laying out this idea of what does repentance look like? I mean, when we we read the Scripture, we talked about it last week, when we read through the Scripture, what did repentance look like? It looked like a real brokenness, didn't it? Like weeping and howling over your sin? Like like weeping over over the things, the areas in your life where we've gone wrong? I I watched this show yesterday. Kathy's in, in Oregon, so it's me and Joe. We're batching it, which means we're living off of cheese and crackers and <laughs> pizza and whatever else. And I was intrigued by a documentary on, uh, on Netflix, and so I, I brought it up and I watched it. And, and I found myself, I don't remember, there's, a, there's, um, there's maybe four or five episodes, but I found myself about halfway through just weeping while I'm watching the horrific things that occurred to, to this person. Because it was sinful. What we did to them. We as a nation. What we, what we did in this person's life. And uh, it, it, it actually, uh, 
I know it's probably not very popular. It's actually one of the impetuses for Black Lives Matter. And uh, it was heartbreaking to watch. And I, and I just, it was, I was kind of blown away, you know, because it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know that, it, that the, the purpose is to bring out that emotion, but I just found myself weeping over and repenting over what was done. We don't do that enough. See, what we do is we justify. And we say, well, this particular person was not a good person. Okay, well, what, the first good person in the room, raise your hand. Yeah, you better not do it. It'd be bad. <laughs> right? What's the Bible declare to us? The Bible declares we're all good? No, that's not what it says. It says we are broken mess, right? That we need to be saved by a Savior. So that goes across the board for every person on the earth. I just found myself repenting over, over what was done in the name of justice. And it was, when I, when I read the text as I was preparing this week for James chapter 5, that weep and howl just was screaming in my ear. Yeah, we need to, we need to, we need to recognize in this verse a call to repentance for the rich. Weep and howl. You're going to weep and howl one of two ways. You're going to weep and howl in repentance. Oh Lord, forgive me. Or you're going to weep and howl in judgment. I would suggest that repentance is a better deal. Right? Because judgment then has an end. Doesn't it? Judgment is for a purpose. I don't want to see myself in, in that purpose. I want to be quick and desiring to repent. And by the way, that call, weep and howl, is an imperative, which is a fancy way of saying it's a command. So all you rich, weep and howl. That's what repentance used to look like. Man crying on his knees. Jonah was called by God to go to the very wicked place. He was called to go to Nineveh. In fact, he didn't want to go so bad he got on a boat going in the opposite direction. Right? Everybody knows the story? And, and, and while he's out going the opposite direction, I don't know if you understand this or not, a big storm comes up and Jonah chooses to die in the sea rather than go back. Do you get that? You know Jonah wasn't looking down at a whale that was going to swallow him, right? He's like, oh, cool, there's a fish there to get me. No, that's what he's like. He's hoping, yeah, I'm dead. I would rather die than go help those people. That's what Jonah's saying. So he, he gets tossed overboard of the ship. And the Lord says, no, I got, that ain't happening, brother. You going. Yeah? Even if you have to be swallowed by a fish, die, be puked up on a shore and resurrected. Well, you never considered that part? Oh, maybe he was, the Bible tells he prayed from the bowels of the fish, didn't he? I think I would too, wouldn't you? You ever been in the ocean and seen a big giant fish swimming at you? I don't care what it is. You see them guys catch them giant groupers? You know, you ain't seen it? Looks like a humongous bass that swallow you no problem. No problem. And it can't be good because there's lots of spikes on them gills. Yeah, I don't have a problem with him praying from inside. God got him where he needed to go, didn't he? And he's so bitter about being there. He walks through the people and this was his message. This was how he did evangelism. For some of you who say, well, I don't really know how to do evangelism. If God can use Jonah, he can use you. 
Jonah didn't want to say nothing. Jonah walked through town and said, 40 days and you're all dead. God's going to get you. That's basically the message of Jonah. You know that the scripture says that the king got down on his knees, took off his robes, put on sackcloth, just put on his garbage, laid in a heap, a garbage dump, poured ashes on his head, and cried out to the Lord in repentance. And God spared the city. That's what repentance looks like. It doesn't look like a quick, oh Lord, forgive me on our way out the door. It looks like really considering, really thinking about the effect of these things on ourselves and on others. And I think this is the call that he's making for the rich. He wants them to weep and howl. And he wants them to recognize miseries are coming. Miseries are coming. Money don't save you from misery. You know that? Money don't save you from suffering. Money don't save you from none of that stuff. That stuff still happens. And when we look at this section, again, I say this over and over again, I don't want you to focus on the money is not the point. The heart is the point. Money is less relevant, except in the sense that money sometimes turns our heart away from God. That's the only relevance that it has here. Look at the prospect that they say the future holds for them. Look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted... Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. For you have laid up treasure in the last days. The first thing he talks about is the endurance of riches. How long do riches last? Well, not very long. Not very long. That You've heard it said, right? You can't take it with you. The best you can do is the, the years of your life. It'll last that long. But there's no guarantee it lasts after that, is there? Or for your kids or your kids' kids, Solomon would say, I've amassed all this wealth. How do I not know that the guy behind me is a fool? And he loses it all. What happened in the story? There was a fool. And what did he do? He lost it all. He lost it all. Riches, he says, are corrupted. Your riches are corrupted. It means they're rotting. It means the stuff that we have and the things that, have, that we amass as men and women that account for our wealth are rotting. Is that true or false? The day we buy something new, what does it start to do? It starts to depreciate in value, don't it? Yeah, the, some of the financial things for the church are so, super confusing because you have all these columns of depreciation and, and I have to have special people to... To tell me what all that means. That's what Phil does. He says, Jackie, let me give this to you in English. This means this. But otherwise, we know that everything is depreciating. It's depreciating. Our houses wore out. Our cars are wearing out. Our stuff is wearing out. Our clothes are wearing out. Our food goes bad, right? You could buy 500 loaves of bread, but you can't eat it before they start to grow mold and rot. This is what he's talking about. Your riches, this thing that, that we can find ourselves hoping in and hoping about, they're just going bad. That's what it is. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. The idea is you have all these clothes. My wife has three closets. We have a four-bedroom house. She has taken over every closet in the house. Everyone. I have one. 
Joe don't even get a closet. <laughs> Kathy's got stuff in Joe's closet. And at least three of those closets, I'm not sure she even seen them close in the last year. It just, yeah, she... <laughs> I should be careful, huh? She's not going to come in the back because she's in Oregon and on a beach somewhere. She's definitely not listening right now. Well, maybe. Hi, babe. <laughs> but as we amass all that stuff, it just goes bad on the hanger, don't it? You ever go digging through your stuff to find something? I know I got this thing, and you go and you find it, and you pull it out, and it's all rotted on the hanger? I bet you have. It's all rotted on the hanger. It's got little holes in it. You think, where are them holes? I don't remember those holes. What's the Bible called? Moth-eaten. All that stuff. We don't want to have our hopes in things that do not endure. The gold and silver are corroded. And the idea of the corrosion of the gold and silver is that it's, it's like a poison that's on gold and silver. And when you use it, it gets on you. So the corrosion that's on the gold and silver is also corroding us. Poisoning us. And so he says their corrosion will be evidence against you. We're not saved by our money, are we? We're not saved by our wealth. Our wealth cannot keep us out of trouble. Our nation is just as big a trouble as any third world nation out there. Maybe more so. Our wealth has not helped us. And then finally he says this phrase, You have laid up treasure in the last days. That phrase, the idea, the last days. The last days began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we enter into a period of time called the last days. And we're in the last days until Jesus Christ returns. So this is the picture. This is the idea that we want to get our mindset on. And so he says, in these last days, your focus has been amassing your wealth. And so we go back to chapter 4. Is it about what's best for me and my will? Or is it about doing God's will? Now, I'm not saying those two can't exist at the same time. They can. What's it require of me? Self-examination. How's that work? My self-examination. When I look at myself, am I doing God's will or am I doing mine? God, I could be doing God's will and God bless me and give me wealth. What did Abraham? He had everything, didn't he? Look at the guys in the Bible. It wasn't always that they were poor and suffering. That's not the point. The point is, are you doing God's will or your will? Are you, are you considering what it is that God is asking you to? Here's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 7. In Ezekiel chapter 7 verse 19 it says, They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it. For it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. Yeah, the end when they had no food, when, when they were finding themselves surrounded by the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and they're choking out the food in the city, you could have had a million dollars, but you couldn't eat it. You could have had a million dollars, but there was no food to buy. So you had all this gold and all this silver. And, and Ezekiel says they're going to throw it in the streets because it's worthless to them while they starve to death 
in the city. It did not help them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Money's not our Savior. Gold is not our Savior. Silver is not our Savior. Sometimes it is the stumbling of our iniquity. Isn't that what Ezekiel said? It was the stumbling block of their iniquity. In Ezekiel chapter 16, we have another section. I I love Ezekiel chapter 16 because it tells us how God saw the nation of Israel. In Ezekiel 16, if you have time, I encourage you to read it. Uh, It talks about how God found a baby that nobody wanted in the middle of a field. And how he cared for that baby and he gave that baby everything that it needed to grow up and become a beautiful woman. And then as a a beautiful woman, this woman gave herself away to every other person who came by but had no time for the one who saved her. The one who watched over her and cleansed her and washed her and watched over her. And so as the Lord is bringing this decree of judgment upon the nation, in verse 48, I just want you to hear what it is that God says is the problem. He says, As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. So he's saying to you, the nation of Israel, Judah in particular, you're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Pay attention. You're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Behold, this was the guilt... This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had, number one, pride. God's number one issue against Sodom. Pride. And he's saying to Israel, you're worse than her. Your pride is worse than her pride. Is our pride worse? Do you consider that that one of seven things that God hates, number one on the list, number one on the list is pride? That haughty look. He says, next you had excess of food. You had so much food, you're throwing it all away. There was a ministry in the United States, I don't know if it's still going on, it was called Friendships. One of the things that Friendships did is take your trash, the food you throw away that, uh, that, sh- that shopping uh, um, markets throw out because they haven't been bought in time. You know, so the fruit that's going bad. And they'd ship all that to a place called Friendships where youth groups could go dig through all this rotten food and find the stuff that was good, put it on a ship, and they would go feed nations with it. They would feed the hungry of the city of L.A. with it every day. You had excess of food. I don't. I eat. I eat cheese and crackers because I'm lazy. That's why I eat cheese and crackers. Not because there ain't no food in the house. There's food everywhere. Well, if I want to pull out pots and pans, I could cook up something scrumdelicious. But I don't want to. Yeah, I'm okay with cereal and eggs sometimes. So we we. But we have this picture. I just want to recognize this was God's charge against Sodom. Pride. You had a ton of food. You had all this food and prosperous ease. Your life was easy. We're not, thank God, I am not a hunter-gatherer. Because I'd be dead. I'd weigh about 100 pounds. I am the single worst hunter on the face of the earth. 
I practice harder. And, but it's just like God smiles in heaven and says, oh, he's trying. <laughs> we were hunting this week, and, and uh, it's not that we don't see critters. We see critters, just something always seems to go wrong. This time, we were out all day getting toward the end of the evening. I've been calling. I called so much, my call broke. So I put my broken call in my bag, and I said, I threw up my hands. This just dumb. I want to go back and eat. Lay down next to a tree on my backpack, go to sleep. Ron Fisher sees me up there. I was calling for him, and all of a sudden, there's no calling going on. So he looks back. Oh, Jackie's taking a nap. I'll go back there with him. So he comes back with me, finds himself a tree, lays up again. About 30 minutes later, five by five elk comes pounding right through the middle of the little clearing where I am napping. And he bugles and wakes me up. So when I wake up, I look over at Ron. I got pretty big eyes because I know that was close. And Ron, Ron, God love Ron. Ron, he's sit, where he's sitting, he can see it. So this is what he says, Jackie, don't move. So I didn't move. And he shot the elk. <laughs> then we got the fun of staying out there all night, bagging it, hanging in a tree. That's when the work starts, right? But for the most of us, we don't got to do that no more, do we? No, we go to a market. We, we, we buy the food we need. He said of them, you had prosperous ease. But listen to this charge. But you did not aid the poor and the needy. Didn't help them. Man, there's some crazy stuff that happens in our nation, isn't there? There's a lot of hungry people in Buell. You know that, right? There are people that go every Tuesday and Wednesday to the food pantry to pick up what they can get. And by the way, that bag is not all that full. Just so they can have food. And the, cha- the challenge of God is your food is rotting in your cupboard and there are people who don't have enough food. Don't you fear the Lord. That's kind of the unstated statement. Don't you fear God? I mean, do we really think that God's just going to say, oh, that's cool. Your food rotted and they starved to death. Well, it's not okay. Well, what's, what's he calling us to do? Weep and howl. Like that king who got down on that, on that pile of garbage and cried out, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me that I don't care. Forgive me that I'm cynical. I, I'm cynical. Uh, there's not a day that goes by that 20 people don't come to the church looking for something. And the vast majority of that are, are strung out on crack. Or meth or whatever the thing is. And you start to get, and, and people lie to you all day. Lie, 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 lie. The first thing I tell everybody who comes on staff, everybody lies. I start to get cynical and I start to feel my heart getting hard. But where did God say, hey, if they're broken and if they're a mess and if they're screwed up and if they don't really, if they're not 
doing what they should do for themselves. Don't help them. Where did it say that? Where did God say, if they're, if they're hungry because they're stupid? The word declares, if a man will not work, he shall not eat, right? We like to quote that all the time. My food is rotting in my cupboard. I bet I throw away a half a loaf of bread every shopping period that gets all moldy. I don't. But I think there's a call that God has for us. And that's why he's delivered this warning to the rich. For this corrosion will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19, lists out those seven things earlier. I told you there's seven things God hates. Six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. It lists out seven things in Proverbs 6. Here are the six things that the Lord hates. The seven are an abomination. Here's the list. Haughty eyes, that's pride. That's, That's a proud look. The second thing, a lying tongue. The third thing, hands that shed innocent blood. Third, a heart that devises wicked plans. Next, feet that make haste to run to evil. Next, a false witness who breathes out lies. And finally, one who sows discord among brethren. I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I'm responsible for some of those things on the list that I know God hates. So what's my response then? To to make an excuse for myself? To say, you know what, I, I get a pass because I do more good things than bad things? That's not thinking like a believer, is it? How does a believer think? He looks at that and he says, man, I need to weep and howl. I need to repent. I need to have my heart right with God. I need to recognize that these things are problems in my life. We make a lot of noise about things that aren't on that list, folks. And I'm not saying they're not sin and they're not wrong. But we don't make a lot of noise about this one. And this one's in us, isn't it? Or we have folks who don't have pride. Or do we have folks who don't struggle in lying? Well, you might say, my hands aren't swift to shed innocent blood. And you might be right. But the scripture tells us, in this, in this chapter 5 of James, that the rich are responsible for murder. So just keep in mind that idea, and we'll keep moving forward. I don't want you to miss out on some of these ideas. This examination, what do I do? How do I examine myself? Last time we looked at Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, you're going to remember the story. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me the judge or the arbiter over you? So he said to them, this is Jesus, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That word covetous, big long word, it means crazy desires that we probably shouldn't have. Be on the guard for covetous, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. That's the opposite of the bumper sticker, right? He who dies with the most toys wins. The opposite of that is what Jesus said. He said, life does not consist. It's not about all your stuff. It's not about your toys. It's not, life is not about that. 
So here's what he said. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what will I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. So he said, I know. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now what's God's What's the point of this, of this story? The point of the story is this. His whole life was about getting more stuff. And then when his life ended, it was too late to make his life about God's will. It was too late to make it about serving the Lord in some capacity. It was too late about making it about following Christ because it had all been spent. His life had been spent amassing his stuff. There's nothing wrong with the stuff he had. The stuff he had was not in and of itself some kind of sin. The problem was his focus was getting more stuff and not being rich toward God. Look what it says. It says, So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's not rich toward God. Again, let me tell you, let me say, this is not about money. This is not about your money. You want to keep your money? Keep your money. Keep it in your pocket. It'll do what James said. It'll corrode there, poison your hands, and that will be a judgment against you. Nobody, nobody needs your money. That's all yours. Do whatever you want to with it. What is God talking about here? Remember, Jesus was asked, Is it right that I pay taxes to Caesar or not? We talked about this before, right? What did it say? What did he say? He said, Give me the Daenerys and tell me whose image is on it. Whose image? Caesar's image. So give to Caesar what he deserves. That's what Jesus said. And then he said, give unto God what he deserves. And why did he say that? Because of this. In whose image are you created? It's not about money. In whose image are you created? You're created in the image of God. So then give unto God the things that are God's. God made you. God created you. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. Are you broken? Sure. But Jesus died to make you whole. All of that is wrapped up in a life that sincerely says, Lord, I'm going to follow you. So the word that he's calling us to is to be rich toward God with your life. Do what you want with all the other stuff. He wants the life. But if that life is lived amassing goods, then it's wasted. And God doesn't want you to waste your life. He wants you to serve. Use your life to serve Him, the body of Christ. Look, in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. What's the idea? Amassing wealth. Don't be about amassing wealth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. What did James just tell us? It's all falling apart. It's all going bad. It's getting holes in it. The moths are eating it. The rust is destroying it, right? Same kind of thing. This is Jesus talking. But he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now about this time is where people say, yeah, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So just send me your $20 and I'll send it ahead to you for God. God doesn't need your money. He wants you. And He wants all of you. 
Well, does that mean that I'm supposed to not work? No, does the Bible say stop working? Nowhere? Nope, doesn't say that. It says, in all things, in everything you do, do all for the glory of? Oh, there you go. So now, my life has become about God's will, right? I'm doing God's will. Why? Because he says, in everything you do, glorify the Lord. So I'm glorifying the Lord or whatever I do. And now I can look back and I can say, man, it's, it's not about me and it's not about amassing wealth. While God may bless me with those things, and hallelujah if he does. But it's about him. It's about glorifying him. It's about honoring him. So listen to the practice that they did, guys. Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, you have kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Sabaoth. Literally, host doesn't really carry the idea. You guys heard of the song, Lord of the Angel Armies? That's what Sabaoth is. The angel armies. The hosts. Lord of the hosts. He says, listen, you're ripping off the laborers. They're not getting paid what they should. And this is what God said. Listen, this is what God is saying. The wages you pay are crying out to God. That it's not fair. In this case, it's not about what you're giving. It's about what you're keeping. Isn't it? The wages cry out. Let me give you another example of this. Uh, Cain and Abel. Everybody remember Cain and Abel? And Cain uh, uh, gets jealous of his brother Abel and he kills him, right? You remember what God said when he came to him? He said, Cain, what have you done? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, guys, it says this. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the earth. Not your brother. His blood is crying out. It's not the workers that he says here. It's the wages. The wages are crying out. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, this is what God had to say. He said, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired worker in his wages. The widow they oppress, the fatherless, the orphan. Again, those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The thing I watched the other day was the story of Khalif Browder. I don't know if you guys know who he is, and you, you can look it up sometime if you want. But uh, recently, in our time, he did three years in Rikers Island for supposedly stealing a backpack. And that is documented truth. In the three years on Rikers Island, he was beat every day. In the three years on Rikers Island, he spent almost a year of it in solitary confinement. In fact, President Obama declared as president, one of the things he did was say, it is now illegal in the United States to put a 16-year-old in solitary confinement. Yeah, he was 16. 15 when it happened. He was in there 15, 16, 17, got out. When he was 18. When, they got, when he got out, you know what they said? Sorry. Well, really, they didn't say that. They just turned him loose. 
Doesn't have a dad. Didn't have a mom. What do we call that? An orphan. You're kidding me. They oppress the widow and the fatherless. Yeah, we did that. Not a question. And you might say, well, maybe he wasn't a good person. Maybe he wasn't. Neither am I. And I I don't think I want to be in Rikers for three years. You? Especially never having gone to trial. This is in our time. This is not in the 50s. It's our time. The scripture says that they're ripping off the laborers. They're taking advantage of the widow and the fatherless and those who thrust aside the sojourner. That's the foreigner in your land. You see, in the nation of Israel, as is even in our own country, there are a lot of people who traveled through at the time of harvest to help pick the harvest. Right? It was no different in Israel. You know what God commanded? God commanded, you don't get to take advantage of them. They're a foreigner in your land. You take care of them. That's what God said. The question we have to ask ourselves when we come to scriptures like this is we have to ask ourselves, is the word of God final arbiter or not? Or is my political affiliations the final arbiter? Is my decisions about how I think the, the country should run, is that the final arbiter? Or is it God's word? And when I live in a land that does that to someone, I'm guilty. Maybe I'm more guilty than the other people because I know we shouldn't do it. So God says, weep and howl. Weep and howl. Repent. Repent. The wages cry out and then finally the harvester cries out. It says, you shall not oppress. In Leviticus 19.13, listen, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Don't lose sight of what that just said. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Okay, thou shalt not steal. We're okay with that, right? The wages of a hired worker will not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, when you owe somebody, you pay them. Pay what you owe. I want you to recognize that what God is saying in Leviticus is that's the same as stealing when you don't do it. When I don't pay... What I owe. Weep and howl, Rich. Repent of the attitude that we have had. Listen, it says in James 5, 5 and 6, last two verses we're going to look at. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. True or false? True. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. It means I got fat by watching it sweat off other people's backs and that fatness has only prepared me for the slaughter and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person oh no I haven't done that I I, I haven't done that here's what the the book of Sirach which is a second temple 
Jewish writings, not scripture. Here's how the Jews thought about this. I just want you to consider. This is what the Jews, how they thought about these kind of things in their time. It says, bread is life to the destitute, and to deprive them of it is murder. Did you hear that? Bread is life to the destitute, to the poor. So to deprive them of it is murder. To rob your neighbor of his livelihood is to kill him. And he who defrauds a worker of his wages sheds blood. So I just want you to understand that the way the the Jewish people would have received these commandments that we've been talking about are a little different than maybe how we look at it. What's the point? Oh man, this is like an endless feed the children commercial, right? I come to church to feel good and Jackie's got me feeling all bad. Uh, I need to write an extra check or give it something to the poor. No, that's not what we're asking for. We're asking for you to weep and howl. We're asking for repentance. To acknowledge I'm guilty before the Lord. I'm guilty, God, and I want your forgiveness. I am guilty for what happened to Khalif Browder. I'm guilty for it. Me. Now, I don't live in New York City, but I could give a rip what was happening there. Not my problem. They got out. went into a lawsuit against the city. The city stalled the lawsuit. He was having a hard time staying mentally balanced because of the stuff he suffered. And so he took an air conditioning cord wrapped around his neck and jumped out a window. So he's not a problem anymore. His mom took up the fight. She had a bad heart. The lawyer stalled the case, stalled the case, stalled the case until she died of a heart attack. It's all over now. The widow and the orphan. It didn't happen in some Iraq or Iran or some crazy place where, where people that we think are the the spawn of Satan are doing horrible things to people. That happened here. These things should not be so. I can't do nothing about it. I can't turn back a clock. I can't stop it from happening. What I can do is what God's asking me to do. Repent. That happened on your watch, Jackie. It was on your watch. That was an orphan you're supposed to care for. Foster child. His mom took six foster kids. Her, ki- her family was six children. She was a single mom. She took foster kids, drug addicted kids. They, none of them were hers. Not one of the kids she had was hers, but she fought for them. She went and visited him every day in Rikers prison. She did everything she could for her kids. Single mom, widow, taking care of the orphans. But it's just far enough away from my backyard that 
I can give myself a pass. While I amass my fortune, when my bread rots in the pantry, when my clothes wear out, when my shiny motorcycle starts to get rest on it. And if I think God's not going to call me to an account, I'm sorely mistaken. And if we think God's not going to call us to account, so are we. What is it that God wants? You. I told you, keep your money. I don't want it. I want you. I want your heart, your soul, your thoughts, the things you're able to do, the things you can, you can provide, the way that you can love and care about people. Sometimes it's just enough to throw your arm around somebody that you have no idea has a story just like this kid did. Walking on the streets of, of Twin Falls or in Buell or in Castle Ford or in Filer and, and you just care about them. You just care about them. Maybe it's just, it's just enough. It's just enough for, for us to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to be like you. He never looked at somebody and said, you're too rotten. You're too bad. You're too ugly. You're too poor. You're too rich. You're too anything. He saw people different. And he's calling us as his church to see them different. Now, I told you this is a warning passage. We look at it. It says judgment is coming, man. It says judgment are coming. Why? Because the rich are heartless. They don't care. They have luxury. They're living in self-indulgence. They're fattening themselves while they're murdering others. James 2.13 says this. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Jesus once told us about two men who went to pray. You remember? One was a Pharisee, a righteous looking man, looked great on the outside, came up to pray. He said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that dirty tax collector over there. And I'm not a woman, I'm not a dog, I'm not like all these other people who have these problems. I I thank you that you made me smart enough to do things the right way. I I pray, I thank you that that, that I I have uh, been able to keep myself on the the right path, walking the way out of walk and... And Lord, uh, I just want to give you praise for that. And then there was another man, a tax collector, who came up and fell down on his knees and wept and howled. And he cried out to God and he said, Have mercy on me, because I'm a wreck. And God said, That's the one who's justified. That's the one who has a relationship with me. That's the one. Not the one who can talk about how he's got it all together. That one, the broken one. The one who falls down and repents and cries out to me. It's that one. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. Because judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who don't have mercy. I want to be the guy who has mercy. Two other scriptures I just want to share for you to think on, and we'll close. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one through five says this: Understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. I resemble such people. Weep and howl. Man, God, fix my heart. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. Notice there is nothing there about money. To do justice, do what's right. To love kindness, that means for them all. And to walk humbly. How do I walk humbly before God? I walk in repentance. I walk in repentance moment by moment, day by day, asking God to purge from me the garbage that's in me. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl. God is calling us as a nation to wake up. He's calling us as a people, as a as a community to wake up to to wake up and say man this uh, status quo is not okay the world is going to hell people are perishing the lord looked to and fro and he said i was looking just for one man who would build the wall to funnel the people together and then would stand in the gap for them but i found none That's what God said right before the judgment of Jerusalem. He's looking for you and me to build a wall, to stand in the gap for our community, for our neighborhoods. Hey, let's start local and worry about getting outside from there to do justice, what's right, to love kindness. And to be humble before God. But you don't got to solve world hunger tomorrow. You got to do justice. Do what's right. You got to love kindness. And walk humbly before your God. And repent of everything that's not that. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.